0: I'm going to spend a little bit of time looking at a very foundational topic, uh, and as we go back, really the reason is is uh, throughout the week, uh, there's a few times that we have mentioned specifically about the preaching of the gospel, uh, and what we're going to look at is greatly misunderstood by a majority of people. I say that for as somebody who came out of uh, a different religious group, I'd never heard of the gospel, what the gospel entailed. Uh, what obedience to the gospel was. I, I didn't have an understanding at all of, about the gospel. And so we're going to go back and really address the questions of what exactly is the gospel? Why should one obey the gospel? And again for some of you here this is very foundational. Hopefully I can come back and uh, show you some points in a different way than maybe we've addressed so you can help teach somebody. But this is a topic really that is, is greatly misunderstood and when I say that there are even those within the church uh, who do not have a good understanding of what the gospel is. So we're going to go back and spend a little bit of time on that. Uh, But as we begin to start looking at the gospel, if somebody's going to obey the gospel, very simply, they need to understand what it is before they can obey it. And that's why I went back and said, you know, I came out of a religious group where I did not have an understanding of what the gospel is. Nobody really sat down and explained it to me. So if somebody's going to, if they're going to obey it, they need to know what it is. Let's go on over to 1 Corinthians. This doesn't give us all the answer, but it gives us quite a bit of the answer. However, this passage has also led to some misunderstanding even within the church. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Guys, I'm going to try to stick to an outline. If you don't have it, it's through the door on the the left. uh, And I will try not to add anything. I've got the motivation today, but I'm not going to. I'm going to stick right to that outline. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Notice what Paul tells the church in Corinth. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve. After that He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. All right, so as we begin to try to get a little bit of an understanding about the gospel, the gospel certainly is centered around the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation that gives us hope in our salvation and also spending an eternity in heaven. But this is just one part of the doctrine when we begin to go in and look at what the Gospels are, okay? To break it down even more, the the word gospel, simply the Greek word there, euangelion, simply means the good news. And that good news about Jesus, as we go back and we look at our New Testament, starts in the book of Matthew and goes all the way to the book of Revelation, okay? All of it is applicable and all of it is binding to one who is a follower of God, to one who is a believer in the Christ. Not only is it binding and applicable for us as Christians, it is also binding and applicable for those who are non-Christians. I didn't put that verse in there, write down John 12, 48. So whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, there is a doctrine that you will be held to, okay? Okay. The gospel is the foundation of one's faith in Christ. And many, unfortunately, think that this death, burial, and the resurrection is the only thing that a person has to believe in order to be saved. There are even brethren within the church who have started teaching this. Uh, If you go back, you'll find there are a few very prominent ministers still today preaching this, that we can be in unity with everybody as long as we believe in a death, burial, and a resurrection. That is not true, guys, and that's why I opened with Matthew 11:1 1 through 5, where we find Jesus actually preaching the gospel, and that is prior to His death. Okay? I know the gospel includes more than the death, burial, and the resurrection. It's the foundation of our belief, but it includes much more because I can go back and I can look at that word gospel. I can look it up, see where it's used, and let me just give you one example. I'm going to go over to Matthew 4:23. And I want you to notice when this gospel is being preached and what it pertains to. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Guys, this is before he died. Now, they may not have understood what the kingdom was, but he is preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That gospel includes anything and everything pertaining to the kingdom and the kingdom is the church as we go over to Matthew 16 18 through 20 and so he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom everything that pertains to the kingdom is part of that gospel that good news and it is all applicable to the church that idea of the gospel being just the death burial and resurrection of Christ is completely wrong the gospel is anything pertaining to the kingdom anything about how to get into the kingdom anything about how to be faithful in the kingdom All of that is the gospel. Now we we know, as go over to Matthew 28, we know that the apostles were to go out and they were to teach this gospel to everyone after Christ died. In Matthew 28, 18, it says, "...And Jesus came, and He spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit." Notice this, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Let me pause for a minute. Where do we find all that being taught? In various spots all throughout our New Testament, right? Did you teach them all of this? What's the good news? The gospel? All of this. All things whatsoever I have commanded you. And then still in speaking to them, he says, and lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. So Jesus tells them to go out and to teach all. All of the things that He had commanded them. Again, that's the gospel. That's the good news. And when they believed, they were to be baptized. Now, without me going off into a totally different sermon, which I'm more than happy to do, but I will not. One simple fact from the words of Jesus right here is you cannot separate the gospel from the obedient act of baptism. But you also can't separate, from a, separate it from a belief and an understanding of, of all things whatsoever they were commanded to give to us. Now, I'm not suggesting that anybody can understand every single bit of that from the very second they become a believer. But there are some foundational things you need to understand. Uh, And we see that when we go back to the conversion accounts. So then we've got to start off with a very basic question. So we know what the gospel is. We see that it, it is focused and centered on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but we also see that it contains anything which pertains to the kingdom. And then you may ask, and I, I ask this question because this is greatly misunderstood in the world, but is there just one gospel? I mean, if you ask a Mormon, they would tell you, actually, they've got another New Testament of Jesus Christ. What well, do they? It's an interesting question. Is there just one gospel? I think if you ask the majority of people around us in all of what we call Christendom, hey, is there just one gospel? I think virtually all those people would tell you, "Yep, there's just one gospel." But here's the thing I would like to point out, and this is specifically for anybody watching this, amongst all the people and all the different religious groups who would all say, "Yes, there's just one gospel," we find them all teaching different doctrines. We find them all teaching different methods of admission into their religious group, and we find them all teaching different things required of the individuals within those religious groups. So if there's just one gospel, Logically, why are we not all in unity regarding doctrine, entrance within the body, and how to live afterwards? Just a logical question I'm going to ask. What does Paul say about it? Galatians 1, verses 6-7, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, he continues to go on there, and I use that passage to simply say, the answer to the rhetorical question I asked, is there just one gospel, is, as Paul shows us, yes. The problem is, is the majority of people would also agree with Paul and say, yep, there's just one gospel, and yet, when you begin to lay out what they believe, what they believe is required for admission to the church, and what they believe is required once you've become a Christian, they all vary. And so they may say with their mouth, yes, there's just one gospel, but their actions would say something completely different. There is just one truth when it comes to the teaching regarding Christ and His will. And Paul goes on to tell us we shouldn't be listening to anybody who's teaching another gospel, which he says is not another gospel at all. And he says it's because that person is either, they're speaking either to please men or they themselves have been deceived. And as I mentioned this morning, I would say that history with the people I've dealt with is usually the latter, at least in my experience, that I find that the majority of people are sincere and I find that they have been deceived. Uh, and so it's very simply put, they believe something different regarding this good news or what is expected for the follower of God. Here's the hard part, how do you know what's truth? I mean, how do you know who to listen to? I'd say uh, for those of us who've come out of some other religious body, this is something we had to work through. Um, There are an awful lot of people today who will call themselves preachers, ministers, evangelists, whatever they want to call themselves. And if you guys don't watch a lot of people uh, regarding religious teaching, I think what you'll find is the majority of these people are really nothing more than public speakers with just a little bit of Bible background. And I hate to say that, but it's true. There are many who are not digging in, even to a basic foundational lesson like this, And explaining it in a way in which somebody can understand. They gather together and they talk about the very easy to accept teachings of Christ about how we should treat one another and how how we should love and they will avoid many of the hard topics because they know it divides and they know it causes people to be angry. And so they teach portions of the gospel but they won't teach all of the gospel and many of them I believe may not even understand it themselves. How many of you guys have ever heard somebody say you don't really need to do anything to be saved? I think we've all probably dealt with that. Uh, I would ask you, where, is that, where exactly is that located within your Bible? I hear it all the time in my secular work. You don't need to do anything to be saved. You just, you just need to believe. <laughs> you guys know believing is doing something? That's a, that's a whole other sermon I'll get into at some other point, but I hear that quite often. Let me say this, whether it's somebody teaching something like that or whatever it is that somebody's teaching, we've said this before, you need to go back and ask them, where is that actually located? Where, where is book, chapter, verse for that, right? If you're going to tell me something, tell me where it's located. You guys, that's why we use outlines here, right? If I'm going to say something, I need to explain to you where it's at. majority of people have no idea uh, where to confirm or to show you uh, where it is that they're teaching something. And so you've got, unfortunately, many people who are teaching, as Paul says, some other type of gospel. It's not another gospel, he says, but there's people out there doing it. Now, if there's only one gospel, which Paul shows us very clearly there is, and unfortunately there are other people who are teaching other gospels, uh, is, is obeying the gospel really essential? Well... Uh, that's a pretty valid question. Depends on who you ask. If you go back and ask an atheist, they'd say no, you don't need to obey the gospel. And if you were to ask somebody who maybe is an agnostic, they'd say, well, I mean, I don't even know in the first place, so I don't know if it's a big deal. And if you were to ask somebody in a lot of religious groups, their answer is going to vary from either yes to no based on the doctrine they believe. Because I don't even know what they believe regarding the gospel, right? That word is thrown around so much. You say, do you need to obey the gospel? And for one guy, he thinks it's just faith. Another guy, he thinks the same maybe that we do. And he says, well, of course it is. That, that word is thrown around so much today that people don't even know what the gospel is. But it's a valid question. Is obeying the gospel essential? Well, let's go over to 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 8. For anybody watching this online, I'm going to read this verse here. It gives the answer to the question, but the answer to the question is reliant on you accepting that the Bible is inspired. So if you're watching this online and you have not come to that realization that the Bible is inspired, you need to dig back through on our YouTube page and you need to find a sermon in which I'm dealing with inspiration of the Scriptures. Uh, if you don't want to spend the time, I'll just help you out and tell you the Bible is 100% inspired. If you find a problem with it, the problem is not with the Scriptures. It's with you. Keep studying. So is it valid? And Is it... Is it necessary for me to obey the gospel? Paul says, And do you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? That's a pretty big warning regarding the gospel of our Lord and Savior. If a person obeys the gospel, they're going to have rest with the saints. And they can know assuredly that they have the promise of heaven waiting for them in their future. But on the opposite side of the coin there, if a person doesn't know God, if they do not obey the gospel, there is no hope for them receiving any type of reward on the day of judgment. All they have awaiting for them is misery. So back to the question, is obeying the gospel essential? Paul says it is. Paul says it's absolutely essential. There are an awful lot of people today who misunderstand the word gospel. I will say this, there are not a lot of groups who actually use the phrase obeying the gospel. There's very few groups that actually use that phrase. I think maybe the Church of Christ is really one of the only groups that uses the phrase uh, that refers to becoming saved as being the same thing as obeying the gospel. And they are one and the same. So why is it that the majority of groups do not use that phrase? Is it bias? I'm not sure. Is it ignorance? Possibly. Uh, Is it that those words sound extremely confining? And when I say that, what I mean is, is if you look up the word gospel, it's very easy for one to get an understanding of what the gospel is and what it includes. The gospel shows us how to be added to the body. The gospel shows me how to live as a member of that body afterwards. All of that is the good news. The gospel shows me how I need to die The gospel shows me where it is that I'm going when I die if I'm faithful. All of that is included in the gospel. And so when people use the word gospel, oftentimes they don't include any of that stuff. They simply only look at it as the first part, which is the method of how one is saved, if they even use it to that extent. So why don't they use that phrase? Well, I'm not quite sure, but I want you to consider for just a second the faith-only doctrine. There are an awful lot of people today who would claim to be members of Christ's church, and yet they teach, just as I mentioned earlier, there's nothing that needs to be done other than uh, the idea of having a mental assent or a belief that Jesus uh, was a real person, that He was the Messiah, and if you'll do that, you'll simply have salvation awaiting you. Uh, but this belief of righteousness through just a, a mental acceptance of Jesus or a knowledge of who He is... Guys, that rejects the gospel, the good news, 100%. Uh, simple belief in who Jesus was or is has never been enough to save somebody. Listen to James 2.19. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The demons also believe and tremble. The demons knew who Jesus was. They even accepted His authority when He commanded them to do something. But they reject a ton of other things that are recorded within our gospel, within our good news. There's no salvation for demons who knew who Jesus was and even even obeyed when He commanded them. They didn't have a whole lot of choice. They're going to to, uh, do exactly as He says. There's no salvation in that. Muslims believe there was a man named Jesus. They even believe He was a prophet. But they reject other parts of our gospel, our New Testament. Guys, there's no salvation in that. There are people today who are parts of all types of different religious groups who pick and choose certain parts within the Scriptures and reject other parts within the Scriptures, and they think there's salvation in that, but there is not. Very logically, you go back and you begin to get an understanding of what the gospel is and what it requires. And for many people who are struggling with this, the only thing I can do is to go back and to say, you simply misunderstand the word gospel. The good news. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Now again, there are some that will use this regarding their personal testimony or how it is that God has affected them within their life. Uh, Guys, there's no example of that anywhere within our New Testament. And so again, as we go back and we're just breaking down the idea of of the gospel, um, many people simply do not understand what it entails. So then to obey the gospel is extremely difficult when you don't know what all it is and you don't know how to apply it to yourself and whether or not it's really even required. And that's because the definition actually changes from time to time amongst whoever you talk to. Now I'm going to talk about a few reasons why people should obey the gospel. I'll actually give you a reason why somebody should not. But let's talk about why people should obey the gospel. This is what we find starting off in Acts chapter 2. The very first, foremost reason somebody should obey the gospel is the intellectual acceptance of what it is that we're reading. Okay, what I mean by that is, is if you go back throughout time, especially when you had either like the Great Awakening and or the Restoration Movement, and many of these periods in which people were going back and they were beginning to seek through the Scriptures what it is that God expects of us, uh, many people have gone and taught themselves out of ignorance. And what I mean by that is, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but they simply did not know, and so as they began to teach themselves what the Scriptures actually teach, and then they realize that they're in some man-made religious group, they, de- they determine within themselves the only way to come into acceptance with the Scriptures is to leave a man-made religious group and be added to the church we read about in the Bible. Okay. Now I know a lot of people, there's outrage when I tell people there's only one church. Jesus just says there's one church. There is just one church. It's His church. And a lot of people have studied themselves out of a wrong church into his church. That's how I became a Catholic. That's how people were doing it during the Restoration Movement. That's how some people were doing it during what we would call the Great Awakening and a number of other periods of times. Okay? They went back and as they studied their Bible, they began to realize that they believed and or were taught something that didn't line up with the gospel. Okay? They, they believed another gospel, which is what Paul says. Let me go back and give you just a real quick example. We can look at it in a lot of different ways, but this should be pretty good. There are people who could read their scriptures, and as they're, they're reading them and they're pondering, and they begin to ask themselves questions. Listen to Revelation 1.5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Somebody comes over and they begin to read through the book of Revelation, there in verse 5, and they say, okay, now wait a minute. The blood of Christ washes away sins. How exactly does that happen? And if that is the case, which it is because that's what it says, how exactly then do I contact the blood? It's the blood that washes away sins. For somebody who's really, really digging in and studying their word of God, that's a valid question. The blood washes away sins. How do I contact the blood? And so as they continue to dig through their scriptures, they get over to Acts 22, and they see the example here with Paul. And in verse 16, they see what he is told. And now, why tarryest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, I'm not going to go back, but if you're wondering about the calling on the name of the Lord, go back and read the, the sermon from um, Peter there is he tells those Jews to call on the name of the Lord and he goes back to Joel chapter 2 calling on the name of the Lord is laid out very clearly in that sermon about what to do here Paul's being told you need to call on the name of the Lord how do i do that well the same thing you found over in Acts chapter 2 he tells you how you need to arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins now wait a minute i thought the blood of Christ wash away sins That's what I was reading in Revelation 1.5. And now I get over here, and I see Paul's being told to wash away sins. How is he doing that? Well, so baptism, which wash away sins, lines up with Jesus washing us from our sins. So the way that I contact the blood is by being baptized. You see how somebody can start to work through this? They don't need somebody who's got... A PhD after their name to begin begin to explain it to them. I mean, this is written in a sixth grade level, guys. You begin to lay it out, and you begin to. It's like when you're putting one of them solder projects together, and it doesn't really. The instructions are they're right there. All you got to do is just read it and kind of lay the pieces out together, and it begins to make sense. So somebody starts to begin, and they look through here, and they're like, "That's not what I was taught, and it's not what I believed." And I would go back and say the same thing Paul said: You need to be worried about being taught a different gospel. There's just the one gospel. You've been taught something else. A lot of people begin to overthink all of this. One might say, but I've always been told baptism is not what saves us. Right? I I thought it was the blood that saves us. Well, there's plenty of other verses that talk about baptism, in which we find is the washing away of sins, and we see that it's the blood of Christ that washes away sins. So the logical question is, I'm trying to study my way through this, and I say that as somebody who had to go through this process. Well, then where else is baptism covered? What exactly does it say about baptism in our gospel? Let me just give you one verse. 1 Peter 3.21, The like figure where even baptism doth... This is a key word. Listen closely. Even baptism doth also now save us. Let me pause. It's not the only thing that saves us, but it's something that saves us. Baptism also. Also with what? That goes back to the word gospel, the good news. What all did I tell you it includes? Everything pertaining to the kingdom. All of that is necessary. This is just one part. This is one of the parts. He goes on, It's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. How can I have that? Oh, my sins were washed away. I don't have any sins to bother my conscience anymore because they were washed away in baptism which is where I contacted the blood of Christ. You see how you begin to lay all this together as part of the gospel? Baptism for the remission of sins. It gives the obedient a good conscience. Peter says it's necessary for salvation, but he doesn't say it's the only thing necessary for salvation. I've been accused of that. All you members of the churches of Christ teach baptism saves you. You know what I teach? The same thing Peter teaches. It's one of those things that also saves you. It's not the only thing that saves you. It's one of those things that also is part of the salvation process. It's no more important than hearing and believing. It's certainly no more important than confessing or repenting. But it's one of those things. That's what the truth of the gospel explains to us. And that's why Paul says you need to be so worried about somebody teaching you another gospel. And yet, guys, to be honest with you, and for those watching, the majority of people in the world have no idea how to even define the word gospel. They misuse it and they abuse it because they themselves don't even understand it. And why is that? I'll be honest, it's because the majority of the world have never been taught correctly out of the Scriptures the basic fundamentals of what the good news actually is. They don't even realize what what the blood is doing or how to even contact it. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his, be- into his death? Where did the blood occur? At his death. What are we baptized in? Into his death. Where does that happen? He's going to go on and show us this burial in water. How do we contact the blood? Right there, baptism. You begin to see how it's all laid out. We're baptized into his death, therefore we are buried with him. By baptism that's the dying process right there the old man dying as you go down and then he says like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we also should walk in newness of life I go down the old man I come up with this clean conscience as I've been washed through baptism by the blood of Christ and I am now a new creation in Christ That is because I understood and obey the gospel. What's the gospel focused on? The death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That's foundational. But the rest of it's included, which includes how to become a follower of Christ, how to live as a follower of Christ, how to die as a follower of Christ. That's the gospel. It's not just the very first part, oh, well, now he's saved. I'm in the state of salvation, but I can lose that at any time when I walk away from the gospel. The majority of the world have no idea. But when people understand it, when they get that, when they understand what the gospel is, when they understand what it mandates, they're going to obey it. And I can still remember the very first time it literally clicked in my mind. I remember where I was sitting. I remember what I was doing. Finally, it's an instructional manual. I remember it plain as day. The majority of the world doesn't understand that. There are other reasons. There are emotions involved in the acceptance of the gospel. Now, when I say that, I have to be very careful. There's always emotion involved, not only in the obeying of the gospel, but even in just the preaching of the gospel. There are times when, as I'm just preaching the gospel, just the effect of it literally brings me to, my, brings me to tears. There is emotion involved. We've been accused, oftentimes, of being a very cold, hard person people who are followers of God, and I don't believe that for a second. I think we've been accused of it, and I think there are some that are out there. I don't believe it's this congregation. I believe there is emotion, and I believe there has to be. But there's a big difference between emotion and emotionalism, which is what we find in many of the other religious bodies. Even within the intellectual reasoning of obeying the gospel, there is emotion. I cannot tell you how many times I have baptized somebody who, when they came up out of the water, immediately started crying. I think I did. I remember as I was driving down to Alabama, I've said this before, I I realized I wasn't baptized scripturally. A goose hits my window at 75 miles an hour, flying down I-65. I might have been going 80, I can't remember. Allegedly. And I'm thinking, I'm dead. I'm dead and I haven't obeyed the gospel, right? Right. There was emotion involved in that. And there was certainly emotion when I came up out of the water realizing, I finally, I've obeyed the gospel. But it wasn't emotionalism. And I have to say that because there are groups where emotionalism is accepted as obedience of the gospel, but it, it's not part of it. And so what I mean is, is there are an awful lot of people who realize that what they've been taught was wrong, and then as they obey the gospel, they come up with a full understanding of Okay, I've literally just now done what I've been commanded to do. I'm in this state of salvation. And the other part of the gospel is, is, now I just have to live faithfully, right? That brings emotion. Listen to Acts 2.37. Is that what we find taking place on Pentecost? So for those who are totally against emotion, right, don't cry. Uh, and a lot of us maybe were grown, brought up that way as men. Don't cry, right? I find that the older I get as a Christian, the more I cry. And I can't really help it. That's what we find taking place on Pentecost. Acts 2.37. And I'm going to focus on a word here for a second. Now when they heard this, we're talking about the the Jews in the crowd. When they heard this, I'll tell you what this is here in a second. They were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What was this that they heard? They just heard the first gospel sermon being preached to them and you go back and you begin to look at it, and they're moved, they're impacted, and you see the emotion come out in their words. So men and brethren, what shall we do? That is emotion inflicting them to obey the gospel, but it's based on intelligence. right? They're doing something, they realize it. That 100% rejects faith-only salvation. Why are these people in the crowd who are now impacted and emotional because of what they just realized, why are they asking if they need to do something? They don't believe in faith-only salvation. And faith-only salvation wasn't true because he then tells them what to do in the very next verse. There are a lot of misunderstandings about the word this there or the idea of uh, the pricking of the heart. Pentecostals actually think that this there in Acts 2.37 is the Holy Spirit acting on their hearts. Right Now when they heard this, It's the Holy Spirit now coming in and it's pricking them. That is not at all, guys. The this that is there, that's the gospel sermon he just preached. What did he tell the crowd? Yeah, he was the Messiah. He's the one that met all the prophecies. And you guys literally had it done right in front of you. You saw the miracles. He fulfilled who he was. And you guys are responsible for killing him. And they realized it and went, you see the emotionalism. He's right. Men and brethren, what shall we do? That is emotionalism based on intellect. Now, if you talk to the Calvinists, they'll say, well, this is just the elect hearing the gospel. Guys, if the elect uh, are the ones accepting this in Acts 2.37, they wouldn't have had to hear the sermon even in the first place as they would have already been pre-elected. So that whole idea is just nonsense. How often have you guys seen somebody who's obeyed the gospel and cried? Probably a lot of us have. There's a difference between emotion based on intellect and emotionalism. And when I say that I have to say this. There are an awful lot of people in a lot of different groups who have become emotional. Just because somebody becomes emotional does not mean they have obeyed the gospel. It does not mean that they have done what the gospel says to become a Christian. It doesn't mean that they're doing what the gospel says to be a faithful Christian. And so there's a big difference between emotionalism and emotion caused by intellect causing you to be in alignment with the scriptures. And so I just have to point that out. Is emotion wrong? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, it's included based on our intellect. However, emotionalism or even just emotion in and of itself can be falsely believed as I'm now saved, right? I felt something tugging on my heart. Yeah, show me that in the Bible, guys. But I have people tell me that all the time. I watched a, I watched a video last night where a guy was talking about how The Holy Spirit just came in and just grabbed him by the heart and just kind of shook him. And he said, that's when I changed my life. Yeah, I haven't read that yet. But it's a good thing to hear. I mean, it sounds good. But it's not in there. It's not in the gospel. How about a reason that we should not obey the gospel? Has this happened? It has. It has. Would we go out and obey the gospel so that we could make somebody else happy or so that we could fit in better so that we could be in the right social group, keep up with the right friends so that we might not upset our parents keep my spouse happy maybe I'll just continue to do this until at least my family members uh, are not around or they don't know what it is that I've done I had an instructor in school (laughs) An awful lot of his quotes I probably wouldn't give, but he actually said one day, you know what, if you're going to obey the gospel or pretend to obey the gospel just to get the respect of men or to find the correct spouse or whatever it is, he said, why don't you just stay at home and go to hell like a gentleman? And guys, that's a whole lot rougher than the way I would say it, but Brother Cates was right on the money. Um, I would say it this way, and I've said it before, Guys, if you don't believe in the gospel, don't waste your time and don't waste my time. Don't go through the motions and deceive not only yourself, but other people in the world. They know you claim to be a Christian and they see the way you're living and it's in total contradiction to the Bible. Don't give us that actually believe the scriptures a bad name by saying you're one of us and living some other totally different way. It just hurts the cause. Again, and it's, it's logical. Jesus doesn't want you obeying the gospel or pretending to obey the gospel just to make somebody happy. Christians wear the armor of God. I don't wear around some suit as an impersonator or a pretender. I'm to be a Christian. I'm to look different than the world. When I put on Christ, it is to live in Christ, and it's to go out and to be faithful according to what? The gospel. Do people sometimes obey the gospel to make somebody else happy? Yeah, they do. Unfortunately, it's happened quite often. The gospel is the most important thing that anybody could ever, ever, ever do. And when I say do, I mean becoming a Christian and living that process, right? And to go around and to falsely tell somebody that you're a Christian when you don't believe it and you're not doing it, it literally is a smack in the face not only of Christ, but all the rest of us who are striving so hard to live out that example of Christ in our life. There are an awful lot of people who are just confused when you begin to talk about the gospel. And I hear people say, and I actually, there was a, when I was watching this thing last night, he was talking about how you know, him and Jesus are friends, his friend Jesus. There are verses that say Jesus is our friend. Because Jesus is not just our friend. You have a great misunderstanding of who Jesus is if you think Jesus is just your friend. Listen to Luke 6 46. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? He is not just your friend, He is your Lord, He is your Savior, He is your Messiah. Is He a friend? Absolutely yes. But with the word Lord comes the sense of authority and submission. He is the one in authority, I am the one that must submit. Are we friends throughout that process? Absolutely. But at any time when I forget the idea of authority and submission, He is no longer my friend. You may say, I thought Jesus always loved us, always will love us. Yes, He will, but that don't mean He's my friend. John 15, 14, Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. That is is authority and submission declared right there. And that process of me submitting to His authority, that is friendship being carried out. Guys, I don't have to go back and show you again. The gospel contains everything that we have been commanded to do. All of it. Guys, if you've never obeyed the gospel, if you're sitting here right now, you believe Jesus was the Christ, and you're willing to admit to yourself, yes, I have actually sinned and I've never obeyed the gospel, I've never contacted the blood of Christ, I've never had my sins washed away, I'm just gonna tell you this right now, you need to obey the gospel of Christ. If you're watching this online, and you say, yeah, I have sinned in my life, and I just explained to you earlier, you need to contact the blood, and you say, well, I was raised up in a group where they say, it's not necessary, you know, and I was baptized. I was baptized. Let me ask you this, why were you baptized? Was it as an outward sign of inward grace? That's what I was told the first time I got baptized. Well. First time was a sprinkling as a Catholic. Then the community church, it was a baptism. We waited a little while to do it, you know, a big old mass one. We didn't do it right away. And and it was done as an outward sign of inward grace. Ask yourself, does the Bible teach anywhere that you're baptized as an outward sign of inward grace? Absolutely not. Go back and look at Acts 2.38. You're baptized for the remission of sins. If you got baptized and you're watching this online and it wasn't for the remission of sins, you had no idea what you were doing. Go back and read Acts 19 verses 1 through 5. A group of people who obeyed the gospel I had no idea what they were doing. It had to be retaught and do it again. You need to be retaught. You need to do it again. You obeyed some other gospel. John 8:24. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. Is belief necessary? Absolutely. I've already said that. It's one of those things that is necessary. It's not the only thing, but it's part of the gospel. You need to believe. You need to repent. Acts 17.30 And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Let me go back to the people who say you're saved by faith only. You just got to believe. He says right here, all men are commanded to repent. So do I have to repent? And it's funny, all the people I've ever talked to who believe in faith only go, oh yeah, yeah, you got to repent. Oh, so you've already given up your doctrine? You're not a faith only believer anymore, huh? It's faith only plus repentance? And most of them, oh, well, there's no well. It's part of the gospel. So you need to repent, but that's not enough. You've got to continue to repent throughout this entire walk, 1 John 1, 7 through 9. You want to continually be cleansed by the blood? You better continually repent. It's part of the gospel. You need to confess the name of Christ. Matthew 10, 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. That's part of the gospel. Go back and look at Romans 10, 9, and 10. You better confess him. If you don't, you're in a world of hurt. It's no more important, though, than baptism. I'll just give you one, Mark 16, 16. I could give you a bunch more. We'll just rattle them off, but I won't. Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. I will say this, the word and there, E-T in the Greek, et. It is a conjunction. It joins the two. You cannot separate them. It's like when I give my dog food and water. The word and is a conjunction. It means I gave them both. He that believeth and is baptized, can't remo- you can't separate them, shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And for a lot of people, and it was mentioned this morning in Bible study, stumbling blocks. For a lot of people, this is a stumbling block. It's not what I was taught. It doesn't make sense to me. What does going down in the water have to do with being saved? Well, the reason is they don't understand because that's where you contact the blood. But in their human mind, it doesn't make any sense, right? It would if you thought about it. Is being baptized the most important thing you can do? Nope. It's just one of those things that saves you. But you've got to do them all. Finally, you need to remain faithful. 2 Timothy 4 7 through 8, and I'm going to quit. Probably my favorite verse, my all time favorite. Somebody who knows what's going to happen, he knows what's waiting for him. I have fought a good fight and I've finished my course I've kept the faith and henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day and not to me only but unto all them also that love his appearing he kept the what the faith what is the faith it's the New Testament system what's the New Testament system the good news what's the good news the gospel. What did Paul just say? I've kept the gospel. I was faithful to the gospel. He was added to the church through the gospel. He lived according to the truth by inspiration that was given to us. The gospel. He died faithful in the gospel. He's going to receive what? The inheritance described for us in the gospel. You realize what the gospel is now? You realize how important the gospel is now? Guys, the gospel, it's everything. And for the people that reject it, they are waiting in eternity in hell. We need to be preaching the gospel. We need to be preaching it to the point where people are saying, I'm not yet a Christian. I need to obey the gospel today. If you're here and you've not obeyed the gospel, you need to do it today. You need to do it today. None of us knows how long we've got. If you are here and you're a Christian, ask yourself, have you been faithful to the gospel? If there's any way we can assist you today in any way, you can come forward as we're led in a song of invitation.